Welcome to the Bar Bend Podcast, where we talk to top athletes, coaches, influencers, and minds from around the world of strength sports. Presented by BarBend.com. Today on the Barbend Podcast, I'm talking to Pat Barber, a level four CrossFit coach and six-time CrossFit Games athlete dating all the way back to the second ever CrossFit Games in 2008. Pat was first introduced to CrossFit in 2004 when he was still in high school. He's been heavily involved with the company and community for well over a decade, from filming and editing video for CrossFit HQ to coaching seminars and, of course, competing. His fitness journey has taken him across the country and abroad, and he's among the most experienced and accomplished CrossFit trainers in the world. These days, Pat is still heavily active in coaching CrossFit seminars and classes, and he and his wife Taz also run Warm Up and Workout, a resource that creates in-depth programming and content for gym owners around the globe. And just a quick reminder, if you're enjoying the Barbend podcast, make sure to leave a rating and review in your podcast app of choice. This helps us stay on track in bringing you the best content possible week after week. And if there's someone you'd absolutely love to hear on a future Barbend podcast episode, let us know in your podcast review. I personally read each and every review, so your suggestions will most definitely be seen. So today on the Barbend podcast, I'm joined by a very special guest and a name that a lot of fans of CrossFit and CrossFitters will recognize from the past decade, and that is Pat Barber. Pat, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Fired up here. And and Pat, I wasn't sure whether I should introduce you by your name or or your nickname. I'm not even sure if you still go by Manimal. Is that something that uh, <laughs> people still call you? Uh, these days, no. I mean, uh, other than the fact that I've got a pretty hefty beard right now, I'm not getting called the, uh, the manimal too often. There was actually a company that came in and started using that as their actual name. Uh, I think they made grips and shirts and stuff. So I think they, they overtook the actual, uh, ownership over manimal and uh, I was, I was okay letting them have it. But yeah, at one point in time, that was the name. <laughs> well, well, we'll get into your into your background and your history in in athletics in, in just a second. But I am curious, how did the nickname Manimal come about? Maybe I'm old school here, but when I was first following the CrossFit Games in like 2008, 2010, early video content about it, you were always introduced as like Pat, in quotations, the Manimal Barber. And I was like, this guy <laughs> is so cool. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you thought that. Uh, the, uh, that was actually given to me by Savan Matosian or seven or Savan, you know, the guy who's, uh, in and around HQ constantly these days, but, uh, he was, he came on in 2009 to do the, no, 2008 to do the documentary, the, the, uh, the very first games documentary, which was uh world's fittest or no, every second counts, every second counts. Um, and then in that year, he was just, he just coined the term manimal. I think, I think he liked it because at the time I was slowly getting more and more facial hair. And then in addition to that, I think I had a certain sense of recklessness with how I did things. Um, I know there was a lot of people who, who had some self-preservation in a lot of their workouts and I didn't, I didn't show the same sense of self-preservation. So he always just called me the manimal. And I, I was a younger kid at the time and I, I just, I wasn't as cautious with what I did <laughs> as, I, as old man Barber is now. So yeah, I think that that's, that's, that's how I ended up with that. Name. Well, let me say, I've certainly heard worse nicknames in and around strength sports. <laughs> uh, 
We had someone on the. I was interviewing interviewing a, a world record holding powerlifter recently, and one of his training partners, his nickname was Friggy. So uh, Manimal is a a little bit a little bit more exciting. So uh, hey, hey, I will take it over <laughs> Friggy. Uh, I'm sure Friggy's a great dude, but yeah, I'll take Manimal. Friggy Friggy is a super heavyweight powerlifter, and he can be nothing else with that nickname. Right. So he's a unit, is what you're saying. <laughs> exactly. Well, Pat, that's a that's a good segue. Um, speaking of um, that first ever CrossFit documentary, Every Second Counts, chronic, chronicling the 2008 CrossFit Games way back on the ranch. Um, you were a competitor there. You were you're a six time CrossFit Games competitor overall. Um, how did you get introduced to the sport? And give us a brief background on your history with CrossFit, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, I got introduced to the sport in 2004 when it wasn't a sport yet. It was just a, a way of training, uh, training methodology. Uh, my old high school teachers happened to be Nicole Carroll and uh, uh, Tony Budding. Tony Budding was the original director of media for CrossFit. Nicole Carroll is the director of training of CrossFit currently. And, you know, she was my pottery teacher. He was my English teacher. And uh, they brought it up to my school in order to train the volleyball team and to be more explosive. And I played volleyball. And, uh, the way I saw CrossFit is it was just like a, I saw it as like a competition every day because in, in essence, any workout can be, be done like that. You know, I never really enjoyed working out or training or the act of doing things that weren't a game, but I really enjoyed games. So to me, CrossFit was a game where you, the side effect was you ended up getting more fit. <laughs> and, uh, I feel like that's uh, for a lot of people when they first find it, that's if they have any sort of a, a competitive streak or that they have any sort of a, uh, a gaming streak, like, or a, and they just enjoy that, that it's one of the things that draws you to it. Um, so I got in then and I was a really young kid. And eventually over time I started, uh, I started working for the company, filming and editing video for the company. And then in 2008 was the first year that uh, I competed in the games and uh, they had that every second count documentary. And, uh, I ended up being the cover of that movie. So like the on the cover of that, I wasn't really in the movie very much, but for some reason they chose me struggling to do a pull-up as the the the, the, uh, the poster and cover for that movie. But uh, I got into the, that year, I got fourth. And then 2009, I got like 35th or something like that. 2010, I went team. 2011, I ended up getting eight at the, the games. And that was really fun. That was down in Carson. Um, at the Step Hub Center. Uh, I think at the time it was called the Home Depot Center. And then uh, 2012, I my appendix burst right before regionals. 2013, uh, I missed qualifying by one clean. I lost to Marcus Philly, that sandbagger. Um, but no, no, Marcus Philly's a fantastic dude. I, I, I couldn't have lost to a better guy. Um, and then I 2014 went team, 2015 went team. In 2016 till now, I have taken off. So that was my intro into the sport. And I've kind of done everything with regards to the company from now till then, from training to seminars to running gyms to selling equipment to everything in between. Now, being involved in CrossFit back in 2004, you were, you were still a high school student, right? Um, when did you first, as far as the training methodology of CrossFit starting to take off, and, and really blowing up. When did you realize that you might be a part of something or involved with something that was really going to catch on and become this phenomenon? And then when did you start feeling that when it came to the CrossFit games? Yeah. Wow. I mean, I've been interviewed many times, but I've never been asked that question like that before. Um, 
Interesting. So when did I feel like personally that I, I knew it was something I was taking off? I think it would probably have to be right around 2006, 2007, um, when they started hosting seminars where I'd show up and there'd be, you know, 75 people or 65 people all looking to learn for the weekend. And I would, they would tell me how much they were paying. And I was like, pardon? <laughs> paying how much? You know, like at the time as a 19-year-old, 20-year-old kid or whatever it is, a uh, thousand bucks for a weekend. You're like, what? You know, uh, and that to me was the first notion. That, and then I'd say, you know, how many of these are going on? And they'd be like, oh, there's four every weekend. I was like, excuse me? Like around what? You know, so like that was when I started to see that that was, you know, the ball was really rolling that direction. Um, as far as the sport going, blowing up, I think, I think the 2009 games with the level of qualifiers from around the world. Um, but I think the really thing that set it apart was when we moved from the, the ranch in Aromas to the 2010, which was the, or no, yeah, that was the 2010 games. That was when uh, it, it was in the StubHub Center. You know, when we went from like, my goodness, this is this tiny little space to like full of people to next year being, you know, people from around the country, around the world, and just like in a legitimate center. Um, that was really the thing that kind of the light bulb went off of like, this is popular. And then seeing how that grew every year, even from the first year to the second year, how just loaded the place was. That was, that was really what told me. You also are, are known for, uh, and this is something that, you know, you mentioned in your bio on your site, uh, and it's something that I know has been, was documented a lot on, uh, CrossFit HQ at the time in various media and videos they were putting out. Um, you moved to New Zealand at a certain point, you opened the first CrossFit affiliate in New Zealand. If I have that correct. Kind of my, I, I had, uh, relations with the woman who did open the first gym, who's now my wife and has three kids with me. <laughs> Just relate <laughs> casual relations, casual relations. So I didn't open it, but she opened it and I worked there. Gotcha. So taking CrossFit abroad, what years were you in New Zealand doing that? And did that kind of change your perspective on the fitness community globally or the CrossFit community globally? Yeah. So the years that I was out there uh, was 2009, 10, 11, 12. So like the late 2009, all the way through to 2012. Um, and I think it just showed me how big this thing really was kind of like we were just talking about is I went out there and I, I, I saw how packed the seminars were every weekend in Australia because I was in New Zealand, but I'd fly to Australia almost every weekend to teach the seminars. Um, and it was really interesting because I got to be on the ground floor of CrossFit in the U.S. when it was blowing up. And then it got to a certain point that was kind of a tipping point in the 2008, 9, 10, where there was just it was well known and there was thousands of people trying to become a part of it. And then I went out to New Zealand, Australia, where it was definitely in that infancy stage again. And it was slowly growing. And I got to see like multiple surges of popularity uh, throughout the different places. So it was, it was a cool perspective to have and to know like where it was going. Cause I'd already seen where it was going in the States. And I was like, this is just going to be huge out here. And it is, and it's massive. And it's like the, one of the faster growing markets. So it's cool. Something I, I definitely want to ask you about, and I do want to get back more into the competition side of things and your experience on that in a second. You're a, cro a level four CrossFit mm -hmm. trainer. And you know, a lot of people out there, they know about level ones, the weekend seminar, the thing you were, you're just referencing as a kid, you're paying, you know, how much, and that's probably the best known 
CrossFit certification there is. Um, becoming a level four CrossFit trainer, it doesn't happen overnight. You're someone who is intimately involved with the training methodology, the proliferation of it, the teaching of it. Um, explain some of those those levels, level two, three, four, because I've met a lot of level one trainers in my life. Um, I, I got my level one certification. I met a lot of level two trainers, but you're not meeting a level three and four CrossFit trainer every day. What are some yeah, differentiations yeah. there? Um, I mean, on just like a basic level, it's just an intimacy with the knowledge, uh, right? So like uh, anything that you do to any degree, you're going to have a certain level of understanding. And then the more time you spend in it, as long as your eyes are open, you're going to get a deeper and deeper level of understanding of the knowledge, right? So in, in reality, to be a, an effective trainer, you need very little overall information. You, know, you, you don't need too much other than like, you need to know this is what hurts people. This is what doesn't hurt people, you know, and then some basic communication skills. And you can be incredibly effective as a personal trainer, as well as a, uh, a group coach. But to really be, you know, next level, you have to continue to build that knowledge base and get that experience. And that, that you know, for me, was kind of forced on me. I was just a, a slowly through osmosis. I was around it so often that that it'd be like someone would ask me a, a deeper question, I'd, I'd have an answer to it rather than being like, oh, you know, I, I actually do know what I'm talking about here. So the level level one is the kind of the, the it's, a, it's a level one, it's the base, right? It's the the kernel of knowledge that is the all of the CrossFit methodology as well as the, you know, deeper reasons why people do what they do in the CrossFit space. Um, that being said, it is a stepping stone to other things. Even if you take a level one 20 times, there's still new information you pick up every single time you're taking. I mean, I teach them nearly every weekend and I'll hear a new coach say something slightly different and I'll be like, Oh, and it'll change perspective on that one component. So it is like the initial kernel that like allows you to then plant that and then grow more information and knowledge from there. But so that's pretty broad. And then the level two is more a commentary on how someone's coaching ability currently is. So the level two is more a hands-on, you've got a much smaller group of people and you sit down and you have them coach back and forth amongst each other and you evaluate their co coaching ability. So yes, it's using the CrossFit methodology and yes, it's using uh, CrossFit principles and standards, but it's also just like, how effective are you at your current level as a coach? And it's one of my favorite offerings that CrossFit has is the level two, because uh, it, it's become far less subjective and more objective over the years. You know, there's a certain level of subjectivity to effectiveness, but at the same time, when you watch somebody coach somebody else, you can see whether or not they get it or not. Um, and there's, there's general things that tend to work really well amongst huge numbers of people. And, and that's what's, what's taught at level twos, which is, it's, I think it's a fantastic course. Um, and then the level three is simply a test, right? So, um, that's just an expansion of the knowledge. And it's a three and a half hour, four hour test that you literally just go to a place, you sit down and you take a test. But it's like, it's depth of knowledge, like really, 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 really just overly detailed, tricky ways of asking questions. Like, it's just, do you really know it? And generally the way I tell people to study for that is, you know, study all the material and then try to explain it to a four-year-old, you know, because if you can explain the material that you've studied to a four-year-old, that means you've internalized it because if you just got the surface level, like just the, the words that are being said and you don't know what that means and how to put it into context, the level three is a really difficult test for you. Um, and then the level four, I think is just being launched. And, and 
The current level four is going to be basically, I do believe, uh, an, a, an evaluation of your coaching ability similar to a level two, but without a course attached to it, where you just show up, you teach a class, and they basically have these you know, check marks that they can make sure that you're an effective coach and they get multiple coaches to evaluate you in a real-time setting. Um, the level four that I have is grandfathered in from the old level two. So the old level two was initially um, an evaluative thing where you just showed up and you basically, you got really aggressive uh, feedback throughout the course of two days. And on the second day, they all they did was evaluate you all day. And then you had multiple coaches do it and they would all go sit in a room. And they would discuss your scores. And then one by one, they would draw participants in. And if the participant failed, they would just tell them they failed and why. If the participant passed, they would tell them they passed and why. And all the rest of the group was just sitting out in like the main room and they would just send people in and out one by one and they'd either come out with their head down or their head up, you know, like it was brutal. And it had like a, something ridiculous, like a 70% fail rate. Um, everyone failed that, that, and they, they were failing so often that they were like, we got to pull this offline and make it more of a, uh, uh, how to get better versus, which is the current level two versus something, uh, that's as brutal as it was. So I passed the old level two and then I got my level three which then gave me my level four. Uh, I've also done all the beta tests for the new level four coming up. So yeah, I've been, I've been close to the community for a long time, but those are the different steps within CrossFit. <laughs> that sound, I, I would have loved to have been, I would love to be a fly on the wall for one of those old level twos. It sounds like a scene out of like a CrossFit version of American Idol or something. Everyone just like, you're going to Hollywood. Oh dude, it was pretty much that. And it was brutal. Cause it would be like, you know, it'd be Nicole Carroll and, Eva Claire and and uh, and then you got Adrian Bosman and Chuck Garswell all sitting in a room, just like you know, with their little clipboards, looking at you and saying, "Okay, you didn't do well. You didn't do well here. You did okay here. You know, you didn't." And it was, it was brutal. And it was and people would walk out of that room crying. And yeah. So in in well over uh, a decade, decade and a half of involvement in uh, in the training space with CrossFit in particular, wow, decade and a half. I didn't mean to didn't mean to just date you there. Um, <laughs> you know, you talk about learning a lot by osmosis, learning a lot uh, on the other on the flip side in a more structured environment. What are some particular topics right now that you are excited to or are actively increasing your knowledge in when it comes to training? Yeah, it's interesting um, because it, with regards to training, I think it's pretty straightforward how to effectively uh, elicit physiological adaptations, right? So in order to have changes via musculature and cardiovascular endurance, all this other stuff, it's pretty well known. There, there's, 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 there's arguments as to the level of effectiveness with regards to, you know, very small percentages of people who are looking to specialize. And, and it's weird that people even argue about that because that's like such a minutia in the larger world of fitness. Whereas the thing that really matters is getting normal people off the couch and training. Right. And, and for me, the thing that really matters, like elite sport performance is not something that I care much about, but like, um, the, the, the thing that like gets me up in the morning and the thing that like I spend a lot of time studying at this point in time is how to a effectively deliver the material. So, you know, what are the nuances of human communication to where I can get somebody else? Cause somebody, another coach good at delivering anything, right. Can I, can I get them to get a member to buy in 
in a heartbeat, you know, and that's something that I look a lot to. Um, in addition to that, I'm looking at things like uh, community and culture creation, because part of what 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 CrossFit did, uh, I don't think this was intentional necessarily, but like the communities that were created at CrossFit helped CrossFit thrive because it, it, it had a fantastic training methodology. Yes. And it, and it, and it, and it, it was delivered in such a way that it was really receivable by a lot of people. And then as the, you know, the ball kept rolling, you started getting more and more people who have never done fitness before all of a sudden trying this program that is arguably one of the more aggressive gnarlier programs globally. And, and for some reason you had, housewives, IT guys, people who had just never got off the couch before doing it. And I'm trying to continue to look into the depths of why that was the case and how can you make that happen sooner? And how can you make that happen at affiliates and places that, that aren't current, currently thriving? You know, um, What is the thing that makes one gym thrive and one gym not do so well? Um, and that's, that's kind of where I put my studies these days. At Barben, we have readers from a, a, wide variety of strength communities. People may be casually interested in strength training as well as the most hardcore of the most hardcore, whether it be CrossFitters, weightlifters, powerlifters, strongman competitors. When I was first learning about CrossFit, I was I was really in, into weightlifting. That's what I was training in. And the reactions whenever you would say the word CrossFit in a weightlifting gym, this is this is back in 2009. I mean, you'd get guffaws and people just like laughing. You're like, don't talk about that in here. And And now, and I was... Very, I was a college student at the time. I, you know, didn't really have an informed perspective on on anything. Um, but now you see so many of these sports, and, and Barb and we do a ton of work with USA Weightlifting, we're their official media partner. You see these sports and the people within these communities either a coming from CrossFit. That's how they found out about these sports, about these different strength methodologies, the more specific ones. Or if it's not how they found out about it, they're oftentimes or more oftentimes recognizing. That CrossFit is is what's popularized, you know, their barbell sport or their strength sport. Um, were those some of those early interactions with people in these other fitness or strength communities? Um, you know, how were those early interactions, and how did those start to evolve as people realized, hey, CrossFit's not going anywhere, and in fact, it could be the best thing to happen to our sport in in decades and decades. Yeah, I mean. I don't think any of the lifters realized that that's what was going to happen. Like there are now currently people, not many, but there are people making a living, like good wages as lifters. Like that was unheard of. That was, they were all like background sports because nobody cared. Like it, it very, very small niche communities cared about those things. Like, and uh, it was, it's been fantastic to see people thrive in those spaces simply because normal people started to care about it because they could, all of a sudden relate to something like that's unrelatable. If you've never lifted a bar, like you don't watch a clean and jerk and a snatch and go, wow, that's rad. If you've never done it before, you know, but if you've, if you've gone in and even done any barbell work, you've gone in and you do Fran, which has thrusters. You're like, wow, I moved that barbell like that. It kind of looks like a clean and jerk. And I, and I watch it on TV and that guy's moving. How much do you say? Oh my goodness. 500 pounds. Holy, like, look at that guy. Look how fast he is. And like, and it's allowed so many businesses to spawn from that and people to thrive from that. I, I never would have guessed that it would have done that. I don't think anyone would have guessed. But to answer your question, like people's initial responses in those days, they it was it's it's been weird because CrossFit's had to fight from day one, right? For for their beliefs methodology. And initially we were fighting saying, like, no, 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 it will make you strong. 
You know, like you will get strong. You might not get as strong as like an Olympian or you can't back squat a thousand pounds, but it's possible to get strong. And everyone was saying, no, it's not possible using this training methodology. And now we're on the flip side of things. They're being like, you're all on steroids. And you're like, no, like <laughs> you don't understand how we've been training for the last 15 years. You know, like it's, you get these athletes who have just had slow, constant gains across all areas of fitness for 15 years. And someone looks at that who's just jumping in and being like, they're all on steroids. So it's been this funny little like flip-flop of like all the athletes will never get strong doing CrossFit. And then now it's like all the athletes are doing steroids. And I'm like, ah, okay, man, like, yeah, I, I hate to have to defend both sides of that about the same program over the course of 10 years, but it's, it's now kind of continuing to go back to this, like, okay, let's talk about what the, the, the prime methodology is. Let's talk about why we do what we do. And let's like re, you know, just talk to people. It, it, it's, it's, I think there's less anger towards CrossFit these days um, and because it's more globally understood. But I do think that now we're finding this new age of haters that's really a strange new age of haters that's combined with people who think everyone's on steroids. And then the opposite side of that is people who've done too much in the CrossFit space. Like they trained seven times a day and then they're like, oh, CrossFit burnt me out. I'm like, no, no, no. You burnt you out. You train seven times a day. Like you could, you could do anything seven times a day and burn yourself out on it. Um, even on the most wanker program, it's, 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 it's just, yeah, I'm, I'm finding a lot of people who have a hard time taking responsibility for themselves, but is what it is. What are some communities that you think CrossFit maybe hasn't made big inroads in, but has the most potential to? Um, I would say, uh, schools like middle schools and high schools i think that the 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 there's been some inroads in those kinds of places where you get like uh, a gym opening up uh, a little you know a little crossfit program and it, it's mainly stuff that doesn't involve much loading or anything along those lines but they they have like tremendous amounts of success with kids who maybe don't find a normal sport that they enjoy um and kind of find their way to crossfit because it's like oh this is this is fun. Like it's a, it's a bunch of people who have this now as an outlet and a certain sense of physicality. Um, so I think, I think schools is a huge one. Um, let's see. I don't really know. Other than that, a big, a big move, obviously CrossFit.com has gone through, you know, several redesigns over the past few years after not going through redesigns for a while. And a big thing people noticed in the most recent iteration was, oh, the workouts of the day, it's not James Hobart necessarily. It's not Pat Barber. It's not Julie Fouché as the model. It's someone, you know, maybe a senior citizen working out in their den using implements they might have around, around their house. Do you think that, uh, um, I mean, do you see CrossFit currently having an impact in different age demographics than it might've had previously? Yeah. I mean, I think if you look at any classic, I mean, any gym that's been around for a little while that's succeeding, you'll see that age demographic is very spread across that gym. And I think part of the success is the way they treat everyone who walks in the door and make them walking billboards. Right. And that was part of Greg's original model is like, if you treat everyone who walks in the door and you're able to scale well and you treat all of them with the amount of respect that they, they really deserve and you, you, know, you give them what they need and meet them where they're at, they'll become your best salesman. And you don't need to do marketing. You don't need to go out and you know, put your stuff out there. These people will be it. And if you do that well over the course of years, you'll have a really wide age demographic. I think what CrossFit's doing now is they're trying to kind of like push that out there more that 
this can be used for those people. But again, we're in a strange space where they don't really have an avenue to do so. They close down all of their social media, so they don't really have the ability to voice that opinion loud enough to really be heard other than CrossFit.com. But people who are on CrossFit.com who are coming to it are generally not those people, right? Like they would, they would have been shown that through like a social media post or a fake Facebook post that, you know, their friend who started doing it would have done. It's, I don't know. It's, it's a weird space um, at the moment. And I don't, I don't know how much that's going to actually get to those demographics through the current channel that it's in. I think it's still down to the affiliate doing its best to create a, a space where those people feel welcome and getting those walking billboards, walking around, putting themselves out there. Well, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are going to be curious about this. Um, it's been a while since you competed at the CrossFit Games, <laughs> but you know, I got to ask, did you tune in this year? And especially with, you talk about changes, you talk about CrossFit being off of social media, Facebook and Instagram in particular, um, more changes than we've ever seen between iterations of the games. Did you watch this year? Did you tune in? What did you think of, of the format and what is your reaction as, you know, that, that former high level competitor with, with what you saw? Yeah, there was tons of changes this year, right? Like we're just seeing crazy amounts of change on all sides of the company. And honestly, I had no idea how the games would pan out. Um, I mean, I personally think it was fantastic. Like, I tuned in as much as I could because I was teaching a level one in New York at the time. And I would tune in, you know, between sessions and like look at stuff and see how everything's clicking through. And I thought they pulled it off fantastically. I think they, you know, they, yeah, they cut a ton of people all the time. And, you know, they, they started with a huge swath of people and then cut down, but it's, it's similar to the Olympics, you know, like you come out and you got the swimmer who doesn't have a, a official pool to swim in, but they qualified from some random country. You know, you got people out there who are competing in the CrossFit Games who don't have a muscle up. But the cream of the crop still won. Matt still won. Tia still won. The podium was still pretty much the same podium. You know, it's like, and, uh, and you know, I know people were pissed about the cuts and stuff, but that's just, that's the way the, the cookie crumbles. Like, I, I think it was a fantastic layout. I think the broadcast, like the Rogues broadcast, Holy crap. Like that was amazing. That was one of the best broadcasts I think I've ever seen. Like, correct me if I'm wrong, but like, I thought the, the coverage was amazing. The, I, I don't know. I was, I, I mean, I am speaking from somebody who's within the company, but I know for a fact that HQ really had no hand in that. And it, and it went off without a hitch. I was, I was blown away how, how well it happened. I mean, we, we broadcast the games as well. And, and, you know, Full disclosure, our stream wasn't didn't get the the viewership, you know, rogues did. It was our first time really working with HQ in an official capacity. And uh, you know, it was really on the individual broadcasters, which is why I think you saw you saw that variance. And we were getting information, um, you know, we were working with the information we had we had available and it was certainly a learning experience and talking to some of the other people who broadcast the games on different platforms, um, you know, it was it was an experience and something where we all got better as the event went on um, because right. you know, you hit the ground running Thursday, you're trying to yeah. put out all these fires that might come out on your end and, and, and um, tech issues that might come up. So, um, you know, it was certainly something where I think viewers, no matter where they were watching the stream, I know Roke certainly had the biggest one. I think their experience did get better over, over the weekend. And it's, it's really what you leave people with. What do people remember last? What do they remember in the finals, which is when most people are tuning in? Let's be honest, right? right. It's that experience right. that matters. Um, 
And I, th- I think it'll continue to get better. You know, like this was year one. And like you said, by the end of it, there was a certain sense of like, okay, this is how we do this, you know? But there had to, I mean, for, for a year one, like that was, that was crazy. Like it went off so well for a year one. And I, you know, I, I was really worried that there wouldn't be a games. You know, I was really worried that it was going to like, as, as it was broadcast, there was going to be like three events that were going to cut two times. It was done. You know, like I, I, I was really worried because I think that as much as people dislike people, dis like there's interesting, there's people who dislike the CrossFit competition side of it um, because they feel like it gives a skewed perspective of what CrossFit is, but it's a, it's a, it's a huge rallying point for communities worldwide. And it's really fun to see the pinnacle of what you have to offer. You just have to put it into context for people. You know, you've got like the tour de France and cycling and nobody confuses, you know, I bought a bike for, Oh, you're in the tour de France. Like people don't do that shit, you know? And I, so I think continuing to make that separation of the message of like the CrossFit games, CrossFit affiliates, it, as, as time goes on, that separation will be clearer with more people broadcasting in different ways. And, and I think that that's just kind of on the, the individual coaches and affiliate owners shoulders to really continue to put that out there. It's like, this is what we are. This is what that is. Uh, you know, personally, what got me interested in CrossFit was watching coverage leading up to end of the 2009 CrossFit games. And I, I love watching basketball. I think we're in like a golden age of the NBA. There are so many superstars and the, the level so high, but I don't watch you know, I don't watch LeBron James dunking on someone and go like, I want to do that. Or I want to know what that feels like. Cause I know I won't, I know I, I, I just, I just can't. And it's cool. And I watch, but I did, I don't go out and then seek participation with CrossFit. It was the opposite. I got interested by watching the cream of the crop, the elite, literally like, like yourself. I can remember as a, as a college student and shortly thereafter, like this guy, Pat Barbaro, he's doing these things like cool. Um, and then it got me interested in it. And you know, then I found an if later years later I found an affiliate and I started paying them money and then I got level one certified and it just kind of all cycled into that. So um the contextualization there I think is really important. And when people talk about the separation of the two, I do like how you say, well, maybe there isn't a separation. Maybe it's a contextualization. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really what it is. It's just building context around what those two are and and likening it to things that they that they that they that they know like the NBA and, you know, others, other, and cycling, I think is, is important to just continue to make those correlations because it's like, yeah, this is the pinnacle of our sport. And, and it's, and, and, but I don't think it needs to be beat to death because I think anyone can really see that. And, and uh, you'd be silly to think that you're going to go out there and and do that. But at the same time, you can do the same movements and you can scale it back. And like, you know, we have the stuff within our, 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 our level one where it's like the difficulties differ by degree or sorry, the, the needs of the elite athlete and the needs of the individual, uh, they differ by degree, not kind. One is looking for functional dominance. One's looking for functional competence so that it's like, they're the same thing. They just need to be doing the same movements. It's just to a different degree. And as long as we can articulate that well, and it's now down to the affiliates because there's no media and down to the people who run the cross the games, they articulate the difference. I think it'd be, it's going to sh- continue to make both thrive. It's, it's, it's interesting at the, on the last day of the games, my, my girlfriend who, who got into strength training and, and working out, um, after exposure to CrossFit, um, you know, she was watching that last event, the standard, and they were on the, uh, Isabel portion. They were on the 30 power snatches for time. And there was a moment where, and this is rare. You saw like a look of pain on Tia Claire Toomey's face. Like she was clear, clearly in the tank for, for just a second. I mean, she normally looks just completely invincible. 
And, and my girlfriend just goes like, oh, like I know that hurts. And yeah. it's, so, it's so interesting because this is like, you know, I love my girlfriend. She's never going to compete at the CrossFit Games, right? It's just never going to, or at least not in the open division. I think the time has passed. But like, we know what that feels like. We know what the fittest on earth, we know exactly that feeling when they look at the barbell and it's like they don't want to be anywhere near that thing, but they have to go <laughs> yeah. back. Yeah. And I think that's beautiful. You know, I think it's what breeds that level of intimacy with the competitors and like the, the, the fervor. I mean, the cultish side of it is like, these people know what it's like to, to embrace that suffering and chase it headlong. And I think for, for too long, we've kind of gone away from this, like pursuing that weakness or pursuing that, that, that pain. And, and I don't, I, I don't, I don't think you always need to feel that, but I think that that, that needs to be part of what's delivered that an affiliate is like turning the thumb screws a little and, and embracing that, that, that just letting the barriers down both physically and emotionally and just be like, this is terrible but I'm going to do it anyway. You know, like I, I had this epiphany that it's like coaches, their main role is to basically create an environment that makes it so people want to go that hard, but keep coming back because nobody likes that moment. Nobody likes that moment. Like, I mean, there's a few people who like can thrive in that moment, but most people it's like that hurts. I don't want to be there, but that means everything else has to be so good that you keep coming back. Mm -hmm. And that's like the role of a coach is to make it so that everything's awesome to where that five minutes where you're dying is a, a, a drop in the pond compared to the ocean of awesomeness. That's everything else. Yeah. When you're, when you're laid out on the floor after a tough workout, you too can look exactly like the CrossFit games <laughs> athlete of your choice. Same positioning. Just, just emulate them perfectly. It's great. Um, exactly. Unless you're Miko, never lie down. Never what animals do. I remember hearing that in like a, a relatively early a video that was yeah it was probably like 2010 they were following him around with that and I I remember thinking to myself like well I hope I never meet this man because I've already let him down like <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah I laughed at him I told him like next time I saw him I just lay down in front of him and was like I submit bro I submit <laughs> <laughs> mental game mental game strong well well Pat we're we're coming up toward the end of. Um, of this recording, but I do want to ask a little bit about uh, warm up and workout. The site uh, that you know you're you're running, and I want to uh, give you the chance to talk a little bit about that, um, the kind of impetus behind it, and, and the goals for that. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, warm up and workout is our company, and we basically, my wife and I uh, got together and started this uh, in 2015. Um, we were running many, many gyms at the time. And part of keeping the consistency across running many gyms was to uh, make sure the coaches were delivering almost the same material. Um, and oftentimes it would be just the workouts is what, what you would get at an affiliate. Like, so you'd be a coach or an affiliate, you get just a workout and you have to create the session. But as you know, cross workouts like five minutes to maybe 15 minutes on average. Um, occasionally they'll hit that 20 minute, 30 minute time, but it's very rare. So you had to fill the rest of that time. And I, I was the type of guy who's really good at delivering material, but thinking of what to deliver was not my strong suit. So my clients ended up getting very similar stuff all the time, other than the workout, because somebody would be giving me the workout for the most part. Um, my wife, however, has a fantastic brain that structures things out really far ahead of time. And she wrote these things called lesson plans, which were just basically coaching notes for here's what you're going to do for the first part of class. Here's the warm up. Here's the skill work. Here's the coaching focuses. You know, here's you know what to do, and then my brain was like, okay, let me think about how I can do that the best. So it was this kind of best of both worlds, and I found my my ability level as a coach shot through the roof when I had them. 
Um, and when we started running multiple gyms and we started having, you know, in the Bay Area alone, we had 75 coaches. We needed to keep consistency across that and keep it high. So it was like we started writing really detailed lesson plans to make it so when I walked into a class at any one of our affiliates, it'd be like, awesome, this is being delivered at least somewhat similar across it all. And then each coach, you know, put their own little flair on how they actually had their personality and delivered it. Um, and we, we were really good at it and we made all the mistakes and done all the stuff. And we, we were just like, you know what, more people worldwide need this at affiliates because I think there's a lot of capable coaches, but I don't think everybody has the brain to do what my wife does. Um, let alone the time, you know, to, to sit down and write like one month of programming is, you know, it's a couple pages on an Excel doc, but it's 75 pages of writing. You know, it's, it's a ton of writing and it's unique every month because each session is different, right? So uh, we basically launched that in 2015 and we have one program and we're open with that. And we license it out to affiliates around the world who want to use it. And they basically get full access uh, to as many coaches as they have at their affiliate to, sorry, my dog's going crazy. They, they, they love what they're hearing. They're so passionate about warm up and work out. They are. Uh, they, they basically get full access to to uh, deliver that to all their coaches, and, and their coaches have as much support from people who've been in the game for a long time as possible. So that's what we do. Um, we've got videos every day. We've got a bunch of movement videos, as well as I do a brief where I I talk about how I would brief the workout to a class, as well as some coaching notes. Um, we do, uh, you know, Sean from, have you ever, you know, Active Life? Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. Sean's actually been on, he was one of our first four podcast guests. Yeah, Sean Pastouche. Nice. Yeah. Sean, Sean is an opinionated, funny, awesome dude. I love that guy. Um, but he he comes on once a week and he, he, from a PT's kind of perspective and a chiropractor's kind of perspective, he talks about one of the days and says, here's some tests you should run on this day to see if people should even be doing these movements. Here's how to run these tests. You know, so he like partners with us. Uh, we've got competitor programs and an early program written by Chad Bond, who's a semi-decent uh, lifter. Also, also one of the first Barbend podcast uh, guests and an old friend of mine. We do uh, we we I work with Sean or sorry I work with Chad and Cheryl. We run um, commentary for USA weightlifting events together. Small world, yeah, and they're fantastic humans, which is why I associate myself with them. I've slowly tried to get away from people who suck. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so that's the that's that's uh, that's the great like end lesson here for this podcast, folks. Yes, Pat Barber's guide think, to life. Well, I think that's if if you actually want a lesson, like the it's actually more about looking at people who detract from what you do. People, so it's not about adding happiness to your life; it's about removing things that make you unhappy. And uh, it's it's one it's that's kind of like the minimalist ideal, right? So it's like you don't want to add more stuff to try to make yourself happy. You want to remove the things that are currently making you unhappy, and that's. That's how you make, have a better life. And I, I've found that with people, it's a very important thing. I start to remove ones that make me unhappy and my life's become pretty damn good. That's awesome. Well, Pat, where can people follow along with Warm Up and Work Out? Uh, uh, where can they find the site? Where can they find it on social? And where can they follow along with the work that you're doing as well? So you can follow my stuff at warmupandworkout.com. Uh, that's just warm up and workout, uh, A-N-D, not an ampersand. Uh, you can also find me on social media at Pat Barber CF. Uh, that's on like Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Uh, we also have uh, The Tribe Life, which is my wife and I. We do a podcast talking to parents about what it means to be a parent and whether you're doing this working, what's not working, and kind of uh, 
it's one of those things that we have no idea what we're doing. So we figured we'd ask as many parents as possible, figure out what they're doing and see what, see what's going on. We have three kids and it's, it's a blast. Um, you can also find us. We have a, a company called outside the box, which is like home gym programming for people to do in their garage. It's 30 minutes a day. We wrote it cause we're parents. We have like 30 minutes a day to get stuff done. Um, and it's not, it's not as good as being an affiliate because I think being an affiliate is the best thing you could possibly do. But I do think it's it's the next best thing is getting something in your garage, staying fit and loving life. So you can find me there. It's outside the box. That fit.